So as we continue going through our series talking about what happens on Sundays, you know, why we do these things that we do every week when we gather, we're going to continue kind of working through the book of Hebrews, looking at some different uh, ways that the author of Hebrews describes worship to us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about what happens when we hear God's word. In other words, uh, I'm preaching a sermon about sermons, like I'm preaching about preaching. So, you know, no pressure to mess this up or anything. Yeah, I could mess this up for a lot if I, if I get this wrong. But we're talking about why we have this thing called a sermon and why, you know, why is it that every single week you're willing to sit there and listen to me or somebody else talk for a little while? Like, why do we even do that? And if you're kind of you know, new to church or unfamiliar with church, you might just kind of feel like, why do we have like a TED Talk in the middle of everything? Like, what is that about? So, you know, a sermon, a sermon's much more than just, hey, here's some good ideas, let's solve a problem or two, give you some good advice, and then we all go home, and, and that's that. It's, it's so much more than that. And so we're going to kind of dive in a little bit to what Hebrews has to say. So this morning, we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 1. And so that might seem kind of weird because the past couple weeks, we've been in like chapters 10 and 11 and 12. So it's like, why are we going all the way, you know, why are we working backwards? Well, here's the reason why. So if you remember Hebrews, you know, chapter 10 is kind of the turning point from this sort of theological argument to practically, okay, so what do we do? Here's all this information. Here's who God is. Here's all this. So now what do we do? So we're going to kind of go back and get that foundation, that building block of, What's going on? What's happening? So that's kind of where we're going to be going. And so Hebrews chapter, chapters 1 through 4, specifically 4.13, is one kind of major section. So if you were to kind of look through there, it's kind of one whole part. And the argument of that part is, how does God talk? That's kind of what those four chapters, four and a half chapters are about, is how does God talk? So it's a you know, pretty good place to go if you want to understand what the point of a sermon is, because here's this, here's this whole part. Now, there's a little bit we know about, you know, the people who got this, this letter of Hebrews. In some ways, they're like us. In some ways, they're a little bit unlike us, because the first century is, in some ways, very similar to our world still, and in some ways, it's a little different. But, you know, what we kind of have been able to learn and figure out about these, the people who would have gotten this letter is they're second-generation Christians. So, in other words, they're not the people who, like, walked with Jesus themselves. They heard the message from others. So they're second-generation Christians. They didn't get to hear Jesus preach or hear the stories, but they've heard it from other people. So as second-generation Christians, we learn, as you kind of go through the letter, that they're struggling. A lot of them, they've lost their passion, they've lost their excitement uh, for a number of reasons. Some of them, it could just be they're, you know, they're just exhausted, they're just tired and worn out. Uh, For some of them, they're, maybe they're just bored. They're just kind of like, eh, whatever. And some of them, they're just facing persecution and other kinds of hardships that's making them slip back or slip away into old habits. And, you know, because several parts of this letter are going to talk about you should be further along than you are, but you're not. You should be growing, and you're not. You shouldn't give up meeting together, but you are. What's, what's happened? What's going on? And so we know there's a lot of challenges happening uh, for these Christians. And maybe a lot of you can, can relate to one of those reasons. Like maybe you find yourselves going, yeah, I'm pretty tired. I'm pretty exhausted. Or, yeah, I, ha- I have some days or some moments where I'm just, I'm just kind of bored with this. Or life is, life is hard. Why, why am I going to keep pushing forward with this? 
So that's where these kind of first four chapters kind of help explain to these people who are struggling and hurting what is going on. So if you have your Bible or your device with you, you can head to Hebrews chapter 1. And uh, if you don't, you know, have a Bible with you or a Bible app, it's real easy. Pull out your smartphone, go to the app store, type in Bible. First thing that comes up, probably the YouVersion app. You can download it and follow along with us. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, here's what we see. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So in other words, what the author is saying is, a long time ago, God used to talk with prophets, but he doesn't do that anymore. Now he talks in the language of son. He talks in the language of Jesus. And Jesus is exactly like God. So if you want to know what God's like, who he is, you look at Jesus. You look at what he said, what he did, and that will show you what God's like. So in other words, Jesus has become God's letter to us, or he's become like our uh, telegram or telegraph to us, or he's become like our phone call or our text message, or he's become like a Facebook post or a YouTube video or a TikTok reel or Instagram picture, whatever it is, that's Jesus. He's this ongoing way that God communicates with all of us. As, as John puts it at the start of his, his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's who Jesus is. That's who he says. He's this ongoing communication. He's this way we know who God is. And he sat down. And when you sit down, that means mission accomplished. Because in the ancient world, if somebody would sit down, that meant, I've made my decision. It's final. There's no more discussion. There's no more deliberation. What's done is done. And so Jesus sits down to say, it's over. It's finished. I did my job. I did the mission. So he starts off by talking about this in, other, in a way to kind of say to all of us, God is talking. That's kind of his declaration in the first four verses. God is talking. He's still speaking. He's not silent. So he's saying no matter how tired you are, no matter how bored you are, no matter how hard life is, no matter how exhausted you might be, God is speaking. Which raises the question, if God is speaking, are you listening? Are you listening? And so as we kind of jump through these first four chapters, there's some different ways he lays out in Hebrews what happens if we listen to God. So, if you'll turn to chapter 2, the first verse, let's look at the first part of what happens if you listen to God. So here's what he says. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, 
How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. So in other words, God is speaking, so you need to listen very carefully, very carefully. And so the first thing that happens is actually good. The first thing is good news. Because if we're listening to God, the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to hear great news, the best news. We're going to hear whether it's, you know, from the Bible or from somebody else. And so for most of these people, he's saying, hey, you heard it secondhand. You heard from somebody who heard it from somebody that, that Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's still alive. And he can be your king. He can be your Lord. He can be your friend. He can, he can save you from yourself and your sin. That's great. Great news. Great news to have. But if you look at that first verse, there's a couple warnings built in there. He starts off by saying, we must pay the most careful attention because God is talking. So are you listening? Which means you need to be listening very carefully. Uh, so there's actually this, you know, this thing called active listening. You know, it's usually in the counseling world, active listening is a big deal as opposed to uh, you know, passive, passive listening. And so active listening, this is kind of what it looks like. It looks like you make eye contact with the person you're trying to talk to, as Trevor's demonstrating right now. You, you, you make eye contact, you nod your head, you might say, uh-huh, mm, yeah. Like, you, you know, you kind of lean forward, you don't slouch down in your seat, you don't, you know, check your watch all the time, you're not pulling out your phone, you're not staring out the window or crossing your arms or, you know, trying to fall asleep or whatever. And I can tell when you're falling asleep in church, all right? You're not fooling me, I, you know. But there's, there's these things you do for active listening. And part of that is you're actually listening and paying attention to the other person. So you're not just listening to wait for like a, a momentary break so you can jump in and start, well, and start, you know, here's what I want to say. You're also not just listening to kind of build your counter response like, well, I can't wait for them to start, just take a moment because I'm going to tell them this, and I'm going to bring up this, I'm going to remind them when last week they didn't take out the trash and you just kind of, you know, unload. Sometimes active listening looks like, so what I, what, I, what I understand you're saying is, or what I heard you say is, so you can kind of, I want to make sure I'm tracking with you, or you ask questions. So wait, when you say this, do you mean, and you're trying to make sure you understand? That's, you know, good active listening. And, I don't, you know, I'm sure none of you have ever had this happen before, where, you know, your spouse is, is talking, and you're like, uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Sounds great. And you're like, you weren't even listening to me, were you? Now, usually it seems like the story goes, the wife is saying something and the husband's watching a football game. Ah, come on. You know, you know that, that's probably blown out of proportion, I'm sure. But, you, you know, you hear that and you're like, yeah, honey, that sounds great. And then you realize, I have no idea what I just said sounds great. What did I just agree to? I have no idea. But sometimes that's, that's what happens. We're just, we're distracted. We're not really paying attention. We're trying to do a few things at the same time. And so what the author's saying is, you need to have active listening. You need to be paying attention to what's going on. So I don't know if you, you know, realize this, but actually, during a sermon, you actually have a really important job. Your really important job is to listen. Now, that doesn't excuse me from, like, not doing a good job or not trying to be clear or not trying to communicate well, but it also means part of communication is you have to do your work to listen. So that might mean you've got to, you know, silence your phone or just, you know, leave it in your pocket or leave it in the car. You know, if you're like me, you've got a smartwatch. I actually have to, like, just turn the screen off so it doesn't go off and, and bug me. 
You know, maybe that's what you have to do. Or maybe you need to take notes, because if you don't take notes, you just, you just won't be able to pay attention, and, you know, you'll fall asleep. And, and sometimes it's just hard, because mentally, you're somewhere else. Like, I can tell you, even, like, every preacher has this moment where you can be preaching a sermon, and up, I'm saying one thing, but up here, I'm already thinking about something else. So it's not just you who's like, what are we going to do for lunch? Man, enchiladas sound really good. I can be up here in the middle of a sermon and be like, hmm, I wonder if we could do this for lunch. Or, you know, am I going to do this? Like, it just happens. So part of active listening is just keeping your mind focused on what are we doing? What's going on? What's happening? So we all have to kind of find our ways to do that. And he continues the warning by saying, well, the reason we need to pay careful attention is so we don't drift away. We don't drift away. Uh, So while I was a preaching resident at Southeast Christian Church, I lived in the home of a family because you don't get paid a whole lot to do a a ministry residency. So a really kind family let me live with them rent-free and, you know, fed me dinner and let me be a part of all their family, uh, you know, get-togethers and everything. And so, you know, David and Sonia were an awesome couple. And during the summer, they loved to go out to the lake on the weekends. They go out to a rough river and they've got a boat, and so, you know, water sports and all that happens on, on Saturdays and Sundays, and so a few weekends, they would let me go out with them, and I learned very quickly from David how to properly take care of the boat, and one of the things you do is, whenever you're getting ready to dock the boat, there's a very specific set of things you need to do, you know, so like David, you know, slows the boat down, you know, you almost kind of sit there for a minute, and everybody gets some inflatable buoys out, and you throw them over the side of the boat, and you make sure to tie them up tie them on. So that way, when you go into the dock, the boat doesn't scrape, or the boat doesn't scrape against that dock, it's protected. So the buoys are there as kind of like a cushion to keep the boat from, from knocking up against the sides. And then once David slowly maneuvers the boat in, everybody's got their job to grab a rope and attach it to anchor points on a couple places on the dock so that the boat stays where it's supposed to be. And once you've done that, then you can get on or off the boat, not before. Because otherwise, the force of you, like, stepping off or on the boat can rock the boat and slam it into either side of the dock, which is bad for the dock and the boat, and you too. You could, you know, lose your balance and fall in, and just the, the, the current of the waves crashing in and out could, if the boat isn't tied down, it'll just kind of pull the boat back out in the middle of the lake. You know, I was doing this, and uh, I was telling this story, and a guy in first service actually came up and said, you know, I had a, a bass fishing boat, and I didn't get it tied down quite right. And so I got off the boat, and then it just drifted back out into the middle of the lake, and I had to get a couple pool noodles and swim back out and bring it in. So it happens. So what he's saying is we listen carefully, but we have to, like, anchor a boat to something. That's what it means by don't drift away. You've got to anchor yourself to something so that you can stay put. Because we live in a world with so many different messages and opinions that it's easy for the current to come in and kind of just make you drift around a little bit or a whole lot. Get off course, a little bit back on, a little bit off. And so we need a place to anchor to, to tie to, so that we don't drift away. And there have been so many studies done on how many messages the average person hears in a given day, and it's like in the thousands upon thousands. Between all the notifications you get on your phone, text messages, spam calls, emails, commercials, advertisements you see driving down the road, things you hear on the radio, things you see on news or TV. There's just so many of them. And some of those, they just go right in one ear out the other. But some of those messages, they just kind of get stuck, and they kind of rattle around, and they keep you maybe wondering about something or worried about something. 
And so it's important to have something to tie us to, something we anchor to. And so the author says, we anchor ourselves to God's word because he's speaking. And if we anchor ourselves there, no matter what the current does, we stay in the dock. We stay where we need to be so we can hear what God has to say for us. So that means the whole first thing of what we do is we listen to God's word so we hear great news. But there's also another side of this. So if you want to head to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, so we're going to look at the end of this, this first major section of how God speaks. So verse 12 and 13 of chapter 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So when we usually read that image of the Bible's like a sword, you know, maybe you remember as a kid doing sword drills where you hold, hold the Bible above your head and somebody would say, you know, throw out a passage and you got to get to it as quick as you can. But sometimes we read that and we think, oh yeah, the Bible's like a sword. It's like a weapon. So I can use this against my enemies. You know, if I don't like your opinion, I don't like the way you're living your life, I can thump you with this, I can hit this, you know, with this, kind of unguard, and here we go, let's fight about it. But that's not actually what the passage means. Because it's not saying that this is a sword pointed away from you. The Word of God is a sword pointed at you. You're the target. Because what God's Word does is it cuts your heart. It cuts through your bones. It's not meant for you to wield against other people. It's meant to be against yourself. I love how Eugene Peterson uh, puts this in the message. He says, His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. That's the other side. So God's word, if we're listening, we will hear great news. But the other side of it is we'll also hear cutting truth. And that's usually the one we don't like as much. We love the great news, not so much the cutting truth part. Not so much of a fan of that. Now, right before this passage, kind of in the context, the author is talking about the Israelites in the wilderness. And so if you remember from our Joshua series, we talked about how we sort of got to Joshua was the Israelites had a really hard time obeying God. And they struggled. And so the author, he quotes sort of these Old Testament passages. One of them is, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like you did in the wilderness. He's drawing on this example of, remember back then when your forefathers, they didn't listen to God, they didn't obey, they weren't obedient, and look how that turned out. Not great. And he talks about, don't harden your hearts. And harden your hearts, that's a phrase, it's all over the Bible, but we don't really use it a whole lot, right? We don't really think about what does... What does that even mean? And it's kind of hard in your hearts is sort of taking a posture where you go, I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to avoid you. And so I just, you know, was thinking this week about what what might it look like if we harden our hearts today? And all of these, so I've got, you know, I've got three that I kind of came up with. I'm sure there's more you could come up with. But I know all of these because I've done them. I've done them. I've sat on, you know, on the other side of a sermon and I've done these things many, many times. So here's the first one. I think one of the ways we harden our hearts is we critique the sermon or the preacher to avoid conviction. 
And I know I've done this. After, you know, years and years of studying preaching and classes and, and, and all that, uh, I've, I've done this. I have so much preaching jargon, you know, I could, I could lecture and rant forever on all those different things. But what happens is when I can kind of tell the Holy Spirit's maybe convicting me, instead of being convicted, I just start tearing apart the sermon, which is so easy to do because you're trained how to critique sermons in college and seminary. So I'm like, so I'll just start like, you know, well, I mean, that il- illustration would have worked better here, not there. You know, he did a semi-inductive approach, but a deductive approach with this passage really, is, really would complement the text a lot better, you know, or, you know, his dominant thought really didn't work with his focusing question and his emotional movement and pattern, eh, not quite there. And so I would just, you know, I could just rip the thing apart technically. But you don't, you know, you don't have to have a preaching degree to, to be able to critique a sermon, right? It's easy to be like, eh, that wasn't that funny. Who does he think he is? Or to go, you know, that guy's a jokester. I can't take him seriously or whatever, you know, whichever way it is. But I've just found for myself, I just start kind of tearing apart the sermon, tearing apart the preacher, because if I critique the sermon, I don't have to be critiqued. It's the sermon's problem. It's not my problem. I don't have to listen to that because of whatever. I kind of throw it away. But I think that's a way we can harden our hearts is, I don't want to listen, God. The, the sermon wasn't right. The preacher didn't have it all together. And, you know, that happens. Preachers aren't perfect. Sermons aren't always going to be perfect. But sometimes I think we do that. Another way that I think we harden our hearts is we just avoid God's word. It's kind of like that you know you're in trouble, so you're just going to like, just not going to talk about it, I'm not going to bring it up, or you know, when I walk in the house, mom and dad are going to be so upset with me because they know what I did, and you're just kind of bracing for it. It's almost like you know if you read God's word, or you know if you hear a sermon, you kind of already know what's coming. You're like, yeah, I'm going to have to change, I'm going to have to repent, whatever it is. And so you just say, well, fine, I just won't read God's word. There. Now I can't be convicted. Now I don't have to change because I'm not even going to, I'm not going to listen to sermons. I'm not going to read the Bible. Easy. Because you just don't want to have to change it. And so we just sort of just avoid it altogether, whatever way we can. I think a third way that we do that is we listen for someone else. And, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you've done this before where you've been listening to a sermon and you start nudging the person next to you like, hey, I think they're talking about you. Listen up. Or it's the, you know, you're taking notes like, oh, man, I, re- I hope Fred's listening today because Fred really needs to work on this. I mean, man, I'm going to have to share this with him later. He better, you know. And instead of letting the Holy Spirit talk to you, you're just bouncing it all over to your, your friend or your spouse or somebody else. Like, well, he's not talking about me. He's talking about this other person. I know that person has a major problem with this, they, I, you know. And that's kind of what we do. But the reality is, no, the Holy Spirit's trying to talk to you. So instead of bouncing his words off to somebody else, you need to listen to it yourself. These are all sorts of ways that we kind of take that sort of a passive listening posture. We just say, well, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to turn away from it. I'm going to kind of stare out the window, ignore, move on to something else. So I'm going to let you in just behind the curtain a little bit of how a sermon works. So typically, kind of throughout my work week, what I do is, you know, a combination of things to study the passage for Sunday. Because I've already done the work of I've got my sermon calendar built, so I know what passage is coming up. And so I'm reading commentaries and doing word studies and looking at parallel passages and reading the Greek or the Hebrew and, you know, just reading the passage over and over and over and praying about it and making observations and notes and asking questions and and reading books and all that. And sometimes, you know, I'm looking for ways to illustrate So I'm hopping on the internet looking for different ideas or stories or ways to illustrate something, 
or I know there's a, there's a topic that kind of runs parallel. So for example, in this sermon, I researched a little more of active listening. I didn't need too much because Jenna's a counselor, so I know a whole bunch about active listening from her. You know, I may, I may have been the husband a couple times like, uh-huh, yeah, sure. And she's like, you're not listening. Like, ah, she caught me. And she's really good at that. So, but I work on that, you know, all week, putting that together, researching different things. But ultimately what happens is throughout the process, at some point, God just preaches the sermon to me first. Like, that's really just all it is. It's just, I'm just a couple days ahead of all of you. Like, that's really all it is is God convicts me or challenges me or reminds me of something or encourages me of something, and then I put the sermon together kind of around that, and that's what I come in with on Sunday. So it's not just, well, here's what you all need to hear, because that's not great preaching. If I just get up here and, well, here's all what you need to do, but it's not really about me, that's no good. So the sermon starts by, God just preaches it to me. And I go, oh, that's what you want to say. Okay, I can put that together. So I just, even this week, I went back to my first ever preaching class in Bible college and pulled out my notes from day one, lecture one, where we just talked about, like, what even is preaching? And I just, I, you know, noticed there my preaching professor gave us five things that preaching does. And so I just thought I would just read these to you. So preaching is the act of proclaiming his good news, reminding the church of what they already know, providing instruction, prophetically calling people to repentance, presenting his story in light of our story. Those are at least five things preaching does. You could maybe, you know, add some things to that list, but it's a pretty good, pretty good list. And here's the thing about sermons and about hearing God's word, is every Sunday, a sermon might do one of those things or a few of those things. Usually a sermon can't hit all of them. It'll just hit a few or just one. Because every sermon, you know, the way I preach is we look at a Bible passage and say, well, what's God saying? And, if, you know, and as you read your Bible, God put all these words in here for different reasons. Some of the things in here are meant to just encourage you. Some of them are in here to help you know how to live your life. Some of them are in here to convict you or to challenge you. And some of them are just in here just to remind you of things you already know. And so based on, based on the passage, based on what God's saying, any number of those things could happen in a sermon on a Sunday. Because just like what Hebrews says in chapter 1, God speaks to us in many, in various ways at many times. There's all kinds of different ways he goes about doing that. You know, and John Stott, who was a great preacher, teacher of preachers, he said this, it is God's speech that makes our speech necessary. We must speak what he has spoken. Hence the paramount obligation to preach. So a sermon, you know, it's not just a TED talk, not just you know, here's my 20, 30 minutes, whatever, of opinions. It's, no, this is, this is God's word. What's going to help us hear what God has to say to us? So here's what's so fun about the book of Hebrews. If you were to read the book of Hebrews out loud, which you could do sometime this week on your own, you would find it probably takes you about 30 to 40 minutes to read. You know why that is? The book of Hebrews, while it is a letter, it's actually a sermon. So, this is, this is how meta this is. This is a sermon about a sermon from a sermon. There you go. So it just layers on this. And that's even how the book of Hebrews like, kind of lays itself out. It's, it starts with, here's the great news. And then it goes to, but here's some cutting truth. There's some things you need to change. And it ends with chapters 10 through 13. So here's what we're going to do about it. 
Now, you know, here's the last thing I'm going to say about kind of how sermons work and all of that is one of the things I did before taking this job is I thought about, you know, if I could jump ahead five, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, how many years into the future, and just could take all those years of sermons and stack them up, what are some things that I would like to be able to say or know that, that at least, hey, if nothing else, I did these things and I avoided these things. And one of the things I was pretty convicted of was about application. Because, you know, one of the ways that, you know, a very typical way you do a sermon is you get to the end and you can say, so here's what we're all going to do. And here's a specific thing or two to tell you to do. But I realized, you know, if you take five years, 10 years, 20 years of sermons and you just start stacking that up, in my mind, I just saw this like to-do list that just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I felt pretty convicted about that because I decided, you know what, I don't want to get to however many years of preaching and realized I just gave people a really long list of things they ought to do. Because I don't even believe that's how Christianity works. Yeah, it's important to obey. It's important to do certain things that God's called us to. But it's not just, here's a big list. Go and, go and do it. And I know that the Holy Spirit's a whole lot better at application than I am. So sometimes, yeah, it's good to say, hey, here's kind of what this specifically looks like for us. And sometimes you just need to hear from God. Or you just need a reminder or an encouragement. It's not about, hey, go out and do this specific thing right now. It's just, you just needed to have a conversation with the Lord. That's what you needed. And sometimes, I think, uh, you know, one of the whole things the Holy Spirit's been teaching me is, don't just give them a whole bunch of things to do. Just, just leave it, and then the Holy Spirit will take care of it. Because there may be something that, that you're going to hear that I would never think of. Or I may be like, you know, it's like this. And I give you such a specific example that's actually not helpful for some of you. It's like, well, that's really specific and not helpful, and the Holy Spirit wants to do something bigger. So as long as with application, you trust what, what God's doing because it's a conversation. Sermons and preaching is just a conversation with God that goes on all the time, especially on Sundays. So, bottom line is God is speaking. But are you listening? Are you listening to his great news and his cutting truth? Because you actually need both. If all we have is great news, we can believe, man, I'm awesome, I'm incredible, God is so good, and then we never change. We just think we're too, we're too special. But if all you get is the cutting truth, you just feel like, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm this horrible person, I'm guilty of everything, I'm so bad, I have so much to work on, and you actually need both. You need to know, hey, here's the truth, here's the, the surgery that you need on your heart, but here's the forgiveness of it. Both go together. In God's word, Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful uh, that you've always been speaking and you continue to speak today. And Father, forgive us for the times when we've hardened our hearts, when we haven't really uh, listened to you very well. And Holy Spirit, help us to have ears to hear, to hear what it is you have to say to us. Help us to be receptive of the good encouraging things and the reminders, as well as the challenges that you're going to give us and the conviction and repentance that we need to have. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to use your word that's living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, to continue to help shape us to look more like Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.